Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice in My Mind. I will, we'll, we'll leave this relatively short because we're going into now week two of our uh, two-part Megazode with uh, our friend Jim Johnson, project manager for Star Trek Adventures at Modifius. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we've talked about the Utopia Planitia source book. Oh, um, you know, we talked about Discovery. We're going to talk about Discovery. Um, there's so much. And again, like I mentioned, like we both mentioned last week, um, this could have been a three or four episode arc just based off of how much we talk. And Jim is always oh, so yeah. generous with time. Yeah, he really He's, is. He has said, you know, when he schedules with us, he doesn't schedule anything else because he because he knows that we'll just get talking and you're hearing a piece of it. We talk. We try to be cognizant and start relatively soon within him joining. But we yeah. inevitably talk for a chunk of time afterwards. Yeah, um, we really do. And yeah. and I'll be honest, let's um we've always talked about this. We don't ask for inside spoiler info. No, no. We never get inside spoiler info. No. So what we talk about is really for the most part stuff that could be recorded mm-hmm. and put out there. Mm-hmm. So we aren't talking about anything that so it's literally we we arbitrarily say okay, we need to stop. Um otherwise we'll otherwise we have to ask all the questions we want to talk about again. Yes. Right. And, yeah. you know, I think, Brad, anyone who listens to us regularly knows um, we, we're we interviewing people like Jim not because we want spoilers for anything. We are interested not, not in the products. We're interested in the creative process behind those yes. products, whether it's a source book, whether it's, you know, I think of – uh, I think of, of of interviewing Nami so long ago now, right? Uh, and and her Star Trek Prodigy soundtrack. Um, we whether it's source books or music, or any other creative endeavor, right? Uh, interviewing Travis about uh, about uh, Legends and Lattes, oh, yeah. right? We 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 can we'll happily go out and and buy whatever it is. We want to know how did how did it arrive what what is it about and so in the second half of our interview with jim so again depending on your reckoning like if you're someone who's into like imaginary numbers or whatever then this is either or the quote unquote new math uh this is either the second half of his third time on the podcast or as you'll hear by his reckoning the fourth time he's on the podcast and you know what we're comfortable with that because we like I'm, I'm totally with okay with that. Yeah. I totally worth it. Uh it will definitely not be his last one. But you know what, guys? Uh and gals and everyone else, we we just need to jump into it because the second the second piece of the interview, it runs long and Jim had so much to share. Uh it's absolutely fascinating and and it was enjoyable as always for us. So we're gonna call it here. We're gonna mm-hmm. get over there so that you can hear more from Jim. And um, and then we'll see you in a little while. Jim Johnson is the author of the Pistols and Pyramids series, the Potomac Shadow series, and other prose fiction series currently under development. He has written sundry other pieces of fiction, including several stories published in the Star Trek universe, and has freelanced for pen and paper role-playing game companies, including Modifius, Star Trek Adventures, Decipher, the Lord of the Rings RPG, and White Wolf, 
Mage the Ascension. Jim lives in historic Alexandria, Virginia, with his wife, toddler, and a pair of crazy cats. So last week, uh, we talked a lot about Utopia Planitia, the new Star's book coming out from Odiphius for Star Trek Adventures. Obviously, I have a sneaking suspicion we might come back to it again, just by the nature of Jason and I's pure fanboyish behavior when it comes to it. But um, before, you know, right after we had you, probably a couple of weeks, um, you announced uh, the Discovery Source book for seasons one and two. Right? I had seasons one. I don't have the book in front of me right now. Right. Um, So... If you don't mind talking about, I know obviously yeah, there's please. a lot of discovery content. Um, you focus this on the first two seasons. How did that come to be? Uh, well, I think uh, more than anything else. Oh, first of all, thanks for having me back on the show again. Really yeah, appreciate it. long time no uh, see. Thanks. Yeah, we'll probably have to have a uh, we'll probably have to have an offline discussion about whether this counts as four episodes. Or I, think episodes. Oh, <laughs> I think it does. Oh, I think it does. Damn it! This. We've got to start saving up for that smoking jacket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just I wanted to make sure I got enough hash marks on my wall. That's fair. Is it, That's is fair. Three, is this three episodes or am I actually? No, four, you know? I think it's, it's four. I think it counts oh as four. God. It counts as four. <laughs> I want to get ahead of your next guest who's gonna be getting like two or three because I think you've That's had at least a couple of guests who've been on twice. And yeah. I just want to get I want to get ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so answer in answer to your question, I think uh, the discovery book, we uh I, I don't want to say we got lucky, but um I mean we just we monitored the show, right? And I think uh it was just a natural break by virtue of what the discovery producers did with their series. Like I, I don't think anybody was expecting season two to end with discovery bouncing 700 years into the future and then never coming back. Right. Right. Like season three, season four, you know, no, you know, spoiler warning, you know, they don't come back to the, to, to the 22nd century. They say in the 32nd century. And I think, um, so we were working on the core book, I think Discovery was announced when the core book came out. In fact, I think Discovery season one started uh, like a month or two after the, the core book came out. So like we, we kind of knew Discovery was coming, but we had no idea what the subject matter was yeah. other than the fact it was Star Trek, right? Uh, we were as surprised as everybody else when we actually watched the series. Uh, so as we were developing the game, I mean, this is what, six years ago, we were watching Discovery, of course, and uh, we didn't have the license at the time, so we couldn't do anything with it other than just enjoy it as, as fans. Um, but I think somewhere along the way, when season two ended, and then we got the, uh, and I don't even remember the time, the COVID, COVID completely screwed up my sense yep. of time and how things, things you know, fell in, mm-hmm. fell into place. But uh, I think once we realized that season one and two were kind of a self-contained chunk of time for the franchise and for the, for the series, and then they jumped 700 and something years into the 32nd century. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that they weren't coming back ever. Mm-hmm. And, and that told me as, as like the, just a Star, a Star Trek fan and also as the project manager, if we wanted to do something with Discovery to take advantage of the fact that we've got the license, we should focus on the first two seasons because there's a certain amount of, um, what do you call it? It's not script immunity, but there's a certain amount of safety working with those two seasons Mm -hmm. because the producers aren't really going to look too closely at our stuff and say, well, Hey, what are you doing? You can't do that because we might be doing that in our next episode. Uh, Like we didn't have to worry about it. Cause like, okay, you know what? You're 750 years into the future. We're just focusing on the first two seasons with, uh, you know, uh, Burnham and Giorgio and, uh, and Pike and Spock and stuff. We're going to, we're going to play in that part of the, of the, of the series, 
you yeah. keep doing your thing. Like we're, we're not going to get in your way. You know, you're, you're doing the fan and stuff. And, and so we kind of pitched it and they were like, Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do whatever you want with the first two seasons. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, like, oh, okay. Right. That tells, that tells us in the back of our mind, Oh, they're not going to go back to the uh, 22nd century. So mm-hmm. that's really kind of where my thought processes came together for the discovery development is like, okay, I'm working on the outline. And I knew that we weren't going to be going into the 32nd century. So I could just focus on what we saw in the first two seasons. And then that really gave me the, uh, the impetus to put the outline together and say, okay, you know what, writers, we have an opportunity here to do something that the producers of discovery couldn't do or were not focused on. And it's like, we can take everything from enterprise and the original series and, you know, all the other canonical stuff that we know from yeah, other right. series that have kind of like, you know, pastiched in and say, okay, let's, let's tell the complete or let, let's stitch everything together so that game masters and players have the complete story of everything from enterprise through discovery up to the beginning of the original series. And let's make it all make sense mm-hmm. so that, so that if you're playing a, a game set in that, in that early discovery era, or even like during the Federation Klingon war or whatever, yeah. that, that the characters understand all the backstory that led up to that point. And you also have enough information that you kind of know what's going to happen in that 10 years in between the end of season two of discovery and the start of the original series. Like, how do we get from there to there? We need to bridge that gap because of course we knew strange new worlds was coming. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what the subject matter was going to be. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the end of season two of discovery, like, you know, the Federation is still picking up the pieces from the war. They're still recovering. They're still rebuilding. How do they get from that point? to the Federation that we see in the original series. Like there's not a, really a perfect mm-hmm. you know, bridge there. And like the, the producers of the, of discovery, I don't want to say they didn't care, but like that wasn't where their story was focused. Right. Right. They were focused on the discovery and then what the heck happens to the discovery once they jump 750 years into the future. Yeah. Um, so I knew as a game master, like I want that kind of detail. How do we, how do we get from there to there? How do we get from the end of, uh, how, how do we get from um, uh, section 31 and control screwing everything up and then we get to 10 years later kirk and spock and everybody are on the enterprise going off and having great adventures and everything looks you know kind of hunky-dory uh so so you know i really kind of you know encourage the writers like let, let's pull everything we know about star trek and dump it into this discovery book so that we have this clear yeah. storyline from enterprise all the way into original series so that it all makes sense and it has a depth of detail that it's going to give game masters and players the opportunity to tell really good stories centered in that period of time. And um, hopefully it works. I, like, I don't know. I, I know the book's still just kind of getting out there now, especially in the States, but PDF has been available for a while. Um, so that was really kind of the, the, the design intention. Yeah. Um, and I think part of me as the project manager and also being really well plugged into the fan base on social media, like I knew that there's a subset of the Star Trek fandom that doesn't like Discovery. And I, I've, I've been picking at that. Like, like, why don't you like Discovery? Is it because of the characters? Is it because of the story they're telling? Or is it because of the setting that is you know, presented in? And uh, haven't really found a lot of good answers, but uh, what, I, what I suspected is that they didn't like the particular story that was being told with a particular group of characters. And I was like, fine, let's write this book in such a way that you could ignore what's happening to the Discovery, ignore what's happening to Burnham and to Stamets and to everybody else, and just looking at it from a setting perspective. Here's what's happening in the Star Trek setting in this period of time. This is a great period of time to play adventure or to play a role-playing game and to do adventures because there's just so much stuff going on. It, yeah. you know, they're still pushing the boundaries of the Federation. They're still adding new worlds 
to the Federation all the time. It's still a young organization, still growing. They've, they've come out of the, the Romulan War. They're rebuilding. They've got all these new spaceships. It's not just the Constitution class, right? It's all these other classes of ships that we see in the first season of Discovery, which I think was great because uh, I think, you know, if you were, if you didn't have the Franz Joseph technical manual and you just watched the original series, right, there, there's really only one class of ship. Like, it's mm-hmm. just the Constitution class? Really? Uh, this is a big federation of, of, and Starfleet's this big organization and they only have one class of ship? That can't be right. <laughs> there's got to yeah. be more. They just didn't show them to us because they didn't have the budget probably to do a whole bunch of models, right, and do a bunch of kit bashing. Um, but the Discovery team added like 12 or 13 new classes of ships. And I was like, oh, this is awesome because now we have all these new classes of ships that are, are operating side by side with the Constitution class. Mm-hmm. This gives players and game masters that many more opportunities to tell stories in this period of time on whatever you know darn ship you want to pick. Just pick one out of the out of the book. They're all really cool um, or you know different and interesting. And uh, and then they go tell stories. And so that that was part of my design philosophy too. Is like there's this setting of Discovery season one, season two is really really cool, um, or and just full of story potential. And it's a new part of the of the franchise that we really haven't seen before. And so they're kind of like narrowing narrowing that gap between Enterprise and the original series by dropping in Discovery here. And then of course, Strange New World's gonna continue it, right? Um, but yeah, so really that's, that's just some of the stuff I've been thinking that I have to think about as I'm developing these books is, is it's not just a resource for more tools. It's like making this a, making these things actual references that try to tie in all that canon stuff as much as possible to, to make the, the overall tapestry of the franchise make sense. And, uh, you know, we're lucky too, because we get to drop in secondary canon re- references too, right? If, we, if there's something cool from a novel or a comic book or you know something else, and we can drop in Easter eggs to yeah. just add that extra yeah. layer of um, of uh, of uh, franchise reality, right? That, that just fans love that stuff. Like they eat they eat up the Easter eggs when they find them. Uh, anyway, so I'm gonna take a breath because I know I've been no, no, that's no, that's that, really that's great. Um, you know, it's interesting you brought up. I when Jason when Discovery yeah. came out, I resisted. Um, cause one of the first things I saw was the spore drive and I'm like, okay, that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, I'm just not interested. And the more yeah. I watched it and the Klingons look different, the Klingon ships look different. It felt to me like another Kelvin timeline series. Okay. Um, but as more I went along, the more I was wrong, the more I realized how wrong I was. And so when the book came out, I was, I was very happy to see the material just cause that fits, like you said, that fits in an area that we just don't have, we didn't have a lot of information on from a mm-hmm. series perspective. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, Kind of a general, I'm, you know me, I tend to go off on tangents from a generalized question. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You had Utopia Planitia and Discovery going on at the same time in terms of development. Um, ignoring anything else that we don't need to talk about, but just those two books, correct me if I'm wrong. You were you were actively, in effect, project managing and dealing with writers on both at the same time? Yep. Simultaneously. How do you well, handle well, hold on. And, and, and other books, presumably at the same time. Well, I didn't, I wasn't going to ask that. I was just, well, I'm not, we're not on. asking questions, but I mean, we, you've said this before that you got multiple projects simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just, that's just part of the project manager life. Right. I mean, I, I think, uh, Fred, you mentioned your project manager, right? So you, you're yep. familiar with you, you have multiple things going on at different levels at different times. And, uh, just by, by virtue <laughs> of what Star Trek adventures is as a role-playing game line, um we have multiple products and multiple things going on right so obviously we're doing we're doing a number of print releases every year we've also got a robust digital release schedule yeah and um it's 
it's impossible to to maintain the release schedule that we have and then and do one thing at a time there's just no way right we, we couldn't possibly work on one book and then one digital product and then another book and then another digital project it's all got to be done simultaneously i mean not all of it fortunately mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but there's uh, any given time I'm working on several different products at the same time. Now, now they're all at different levels, right? Like uh, normally um, I don't edit more than one book at the same time, like one big book. That's at what the same I was wondering. Yeah. Um, there's, just, there's just not enough time in my day. Like I, I still have a day job. I still have a family. I still have other outside pursuits beyond this. Um, but I will admit that Star Trek Adventures does take up the bulk of my free time which I'm okay with, obviously, because I'm super passionate about the franchise and I love the game and I love my fans. I love our fans. Uh, our fans are so great. And, and I love talking to folks like you because you're just, you, you are passionate about it too. And so it, it's really sustaining and it's gotten me through some really dark times over the last six years. Uh, you know, not, not just COVID, but just, you know, everything else is in the world. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, grateful every day like every day i i I, i'm i'm reminded how grateful lucky i am to be in the position that i'm in but Mm -hmm. anyway that being said um yeah i i when i was working on discovery i was i was working on discovery you know cutting the cutting the writers loose to go work on it we were also developing the initial part of utopia planitia we also have you know several other books that we're working on right now that'll be out in 2023 and 2024 and uh, in addition to all that, I've also got all the different digital stuff. So we had um, crew packs that we were working on, like we had the, the Discovery and Picard crew packs. Uh, the, those came out earlier this year. And then we're doing a regular stream of standalone adventures and mission brief packs, right? So there's all that stuff. So that's, yeah. you know, you're talking, um, you know, for the, I'm not sure the fans have necessarily been paying attention because I don't hear a lot about it online. But like, we've been releasing something new every month this year, yeah. like consistently. Yeah. It's either yeah. been a standalone adventure or mission brief every every month. And we've also been dropping in those crew packs, the Discovery crew packs and the Picard crew pack, in addition to the big print releases. So I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to say the fans are spoiled because I, I don't get that sense from anybody on social media that they're spoiled. But I think they're always surprised when something new comes out. Because <laughs> we don't really announce the digital stuff. It just comes out on, on a Wednesday. Right? We, yeah, right. we, we made Wednesdays kind of the Star Trek release day uh, every month. But, uh, you know, a new crew pack will come out or a digital um, um, adventure will come out or whatever. And they're like, oh, there's a new adventure out or, oh, there's a new mission brief out or something. And I, I'm not mm. sure everybody's quite put together the fact that we are intentional about releasing something new every month, <laughs> mm. uh, which is funny because because uh, it's just this machine now that's just kind of cruising along. And, uh, you know, my, yeah. my team and I, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. And I finally got to the point now where I'm on a rhythm. Yeah. Um, and And importantly for me, especially, is I'm no longer behind the eight ball. There was a there was a long period of time, especially right before COVID, and then heading into COVID, where we were just trying to get stuff out as quick as possible, just you know cranking out cranking out product, and yeah. uh, we gradually like took a step back a little bit, and said you know what if we take a little bit more time, this is you know project management one on one right, and take a little bit more time on the on the front end, the back end gets easier or you know the, the the end result is better, and so I've gotten ahead of the the program here <laughs> quite a bit to where I'm I'm working on uh, covers and art for products that you're not going to see until the end of next year. So I, I'm yeah, further yeah. ahead of the, of the curve now. And it's just, it's just been a process. It's just been a process of getting there. But I mean, I can tell you like literally today, um, I, uh, I directly touched or was involved in seven different Star Trek products, um, major yes. and minor alike. And that's just the nature of, of oh my God. 
project managing this thing is like there's so many different things at so many different levels. I mean, some of it might be just like, okay, I need to do a final proofread on this layout for this uh, mission brief. That's an hour. That's not a big deal. Um, or I've got this other book that I need to do some deeper copy edits on. Okay, yeah. that's, that's a different kind of time commitment. Um, glancing at somebody's covers for a new product, it's like, okay, that's, you know, looking at art is pretty easy <laughs> compared, to, compared to a, you know, a 50-page document. It's just a, a different level of effort. I mean, it still involves, you know, focus and dedication, but it's it's different to look at a piece of art and go, yep, yeah, that, that piece of art's good. I can send that off to Paramount. Or I can look at a piece of art and say, oh, this needs to be fixed. This needs to be fixed. And I can send it off. That's a different level of effort compared to, okay, I've got to copy edit this thing. And it's going to take me eight hours to go through this thing and, and do the detailed um, comments and get it back to the writer and all that stuff. But uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just my life as, as the project manager and the line editor for this thing is uh, we constantly okay. have we constantly have seven to 10 products going on at any given time. Well, well you're not a, you're not just a project manager. That's what's fast. Why I bring that up is maybe selfishly. Cause you know, like we talked about, we've talked about previously, my, I have a background in, as a PM, um, yeah. but as a really kind of a pure PM in some cases on my own resource for projects, but you in effect, for those that are project managers, if you were drawing a Gantt chart and a resource chart, not only are you the project manager, but you're also resources when it comes to proofreading, editing, you know, and so on. So yeah. it's not as, and that's what I, I guess I wanted to to point home is, um, and again, I'm not trying to, to, you know, bunny up or anything like that. It's fascinating to me how you can manage seven products, you know, like today also be a resource with due dates on products and also managing yeah. and PMing that it, it just doesn't, it, it, to me, that's, that's fascinating because I don't know how I would do that. I'm, yeah. I'm a tech PM by nature. I've done enterprise large projects, but I haven't done it like what you're doing. And, and we've talked about this before and, and you can smack the screen and let me know I'm wrong. Modifius runs very efficiently when it comes to staffing, you know, you mm -hmm. aren't, it's, there's, it's not a staff of bloat, you know, you aren't a bloated staff. You, you have a day job. So mm -hmm. you're doing this, at night so and i would imagine your writers in many ways are obviously this is not their sole writing projects that they're working on either yeah, yeah so, they're, they're all freelancers with their own careers and their own things going on i mean i think every one of them has a day job in addition wow. to freelancing on the side um i think that's just i don't want to say that's the reality of the rpg industry but i think the vast vast majority of people working on rpg mm -hmm. products are doing it are doing it freelance i mean there's Seems certainly like full-timers out there and Modifius, I mean, Modifius has a, has a staff of like 70 different people, most of which are, um, you know, um, technical and, uh, and, and doing a lot of stuff. I mean, they, they do have uh, project managers who are on staff. I just happen to be the freelancer. I, I'm the odd one out. <laughs> I'm the only freelance project manager. But I'm also, right. um, I, I don't do everything that they do because they're responsible for multiple lines. I'm only responsible for one. Um, like all I do is Star Trek. That's that's my sole focus uh, for Modifius. And okay. um, honestly, I don't know how. <laughs> and I don't. Again, I don't want to tap, pat myself on the back. That's not what we're here to talk about. But uh, like, I don't. I haven't really stopped to think about how I actually do what I do. Like being able to break out <laughs> seven eight different products at a time. And that's and, what I was curious and, about. And bounce from one thing to another thing. I, I think just over time, and this isn't just Modifius. This is just you know my day job and stuff. Because I, I used to work. Um, you know, my day job used to be working on government proposals and, and being a proposal writer and then becoming a proposal manager. And the nature of that work is you're hyper-focused on a thing for a couple months and then you have to purge your brain 
and start fresh on the new one because it's it, there's a new proposal coming and there's a new one and the new one and it's just a right. constant churn of new stuff and it's it's all kind of like i mean it's all the same really in a, in a certain degree because like government contracting and and rfp procurement like it's the same format right the government has mandated how your proposals are going to look when a government agency sends out a request for a proposal right like there are certain there's a certain structure to that so it's consistent and then when you're working for a contractor like depending on what kind of work you're pursuing you're always going to quote the same five six path performances that you've done a million times you're just changing the format to fit the new rfp right so it's it's like this it's, it's the project so it's a similar project over and over and over and over again and um i think by doing that for so long I learned how to have a really short memory so that when I go into a new project, I've forgotten everything I did about that last project, except maybe some lessons learned, right? We always try to do mm -hmm. lessons learned. Nobody ever does lessons learned very well because you always are on to the next thing. You're always churning on to the next thing. Um, but I think just that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to be hyper-focused on this project for two months, three months, however long it takes, and then I'm going to forget it and go on to the next one. I'm going to be hyper-focused on that for three months and then forget about it, et cetera. Um, so it's something like that, I guess. I don't know. Because like every project for Star Trek Adventures anyway, I know is going to end at some point. Because like once we get that final layout done and it's off to production or it's uh, delivered uh, to drive through RPG in the web source, it's done. I don't have to look at it again. I can go on to the next one. Uh, in fact, I'm probably already on to the next one. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm rambling again. So I'll stop. No, no, no. no, no. no I, have, I have two questions, but I'm going to save yeah. one for the end. And okay. Jace, I'll let you go. Because I, I want to talk about the your digital, the digital products that come sure. out, mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll, I'll defer Jace. Cause I've been kind of hogging that. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I mean this, no, I appreciate it though. Cause I, it's so maybe this will be two minutes and maybe, you know, we'll, we'll call it a day tomorrow, but so let's talk about the future for a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously we don't want you to cross the line and we know you wouldn't. Um, uh, it goes without saying we want in such a painful way, a Picard book. Um, but you know, like you said, you've got multiple projects in the works, you know, like whatever the timeline is. Yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm curious. I mean, I have a bit of a silly question, but but more seriously to start um, it, to whatever extent you can or are comfortable saying the 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 Starfleet source book, the Utopia Planitia source book. That just seems so significant of a project. I mean, my God, is that 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 a piece of work? Mm -hmm. Um from the creative side, whether whether the the writing or the editing or just the management, um how do you determine what comes next? Um, is it is it more an element of of pragmatics, like, well, these things are probably going to sell and keep the line afloat and or are there projects that you really would like to do now that you've accomplished this and some of them are feasible i mean how do how do you work that out how do you make those decisions yeah well i think you, i think you uh, you put the keyword right there in your uh, in your last little bit there it's uh, it's the feasibility um i think we're we're at a at a mature point with medifius where we um whether it's me coming up with the ideas now of course you know i've, I've told i've told you guys at length uh, prior you know i had a wish list coming into this that i yeah. uh, products that i knew i wanted to see because i'm a game master I, i've been a lifelong game master I've, I've been a star trek fan forever like as a as a star trek game master i know the products i want to see 
right? I know, I know the stuff that I want. I want a monster manual. I want a, a big alien book. I want a big species book. I wanted a big starships book. And I want uh, books about each of the series, right? I want a, I want an original yeah, right. series book. I want a next gen book, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. So I've got this huge wish, wish list that hasn't gone away. Like I've still got mm-hmm. it. I've been checking off stuff gradually or morphing things around, but I've still got this wish list. And so what, what happens is uh, I will put together a feasibility study uh, which you know sounds boring and corporate, but that's the reality, right? Mm-hmm. This, because mm-hmm. we, we can't just make stuff and 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 throw it out there over the transom. We have to have a we have to, especially now that we're six years into it, we have to have a good business reason for doing stuff. Right. And and so I'll put together a feasibility study and I'll do the the uh, the dreaded uh, um, you know budget spreadsheet. And if I can make it work within everything that Modifius tells me to make it work within, um, that'll go to uh, to my my team lead uh, and uh, and the, the the leadership at Modifius, and we'll talk about it. And if it makes sense to do it, then they greenlight it, and I'm off and running. I'm off into development. Uh, sometimes they will say, "Oh, you know what? For from a business perspective, we want to do this thing, and uh, can you go go do a feasibility, see if you can make it happen uh, within certain constraints, whatever constraints they come up with." And I'll go. I'll go explore that and and figure it out. Um, that's mostly for the big the big rocks, the big the big part the big print products. Uh, right. For the most part, they've given me free reign to do the digital stuff because yeah. it's it's really low risk. It's low risk, low cost. Um, they they have consistently broken even or done better, and um, it's it, there's so much upside to doing them because uh, a the mission briefs are free, so yeah. that's goodwill right. with our fan base. Because you're getting free stuff, like you're getting a consistent stream of free stuff. That doesn't mm-hmm. suck. Everybody loves free stuff. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that we're giving out these these ten episodes, you know, every other month. We we've got over two hundred episodes now worth of content out there, and that's that's Jeez. unreal. I, I just figured that out the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, we've written over two hundred episodes. I did stuff. not that's crazy. That. Um, so like, it's just a wealth of material out there. But so the the and the and the adventures and the mission briefs. What they also do is they're kind of a um um. I don't. I don't want. To, I don't want this to sound dismissive, but I don't have better words right now. Uh, it's kind of a proving ground for new writers because yeah. because they're low risk and because they're low um, impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I can commission a bunch of mission brief packs or a bunch of standalone adventures, and I'll tell the writers, "Look, I'm not giving you a deadline. I just want to see where you, what what is your passion? What are you passionate about? Do you really want to do this? And of course, you know, you're going to get paid and everything once it's all said and done. But but like, I, I want to see what they can do, and I want. Right. Like, I'm giving you the opportunity to write for the line. Show me what you love. Show me your love for Star Trek. You know, show me that you can be a good freelancer and, and get this stuff yep. done on time at a certain level of quality that I can that I can work with you and help you be better, and then you know, get it done. So, um, for me as an acquisitions editor, right, because that's one of the many hats that I wear as part of this thing, is 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 getting new writers into the industry, right? And a handful of them have gotten their start on Star Trek Adventures and then have gone on to work on other game lines. Which is, which is A, great, but also B, kind of sucks because that means that they're not as available as they used to be. And right. so I'm losing some of my writers to other game lines, which is, you know, okay because it still feels good for that to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, where was I going with this? Um, the, 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 shoot. Right. You were going to tell us what the next three books are, but you know, in oh, all yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice segue. Oh, so close. Yeah. Before I could get back to Brad, though, you know, but just to, to go with this a little more. So, uh-huh. I mean, you you guys have, uh, you have the Picard license, and I just yeah. assume you want a Strange New Worlds license. I mean, I can't I imagine love, why. Yeah, yeah. I, would I can't imagine. You. Okay, so I'm curious, um, are you interested? This is a two-part indulgement here. Creatively, are you interested in Lower Decks and Prodigy? And I guess more, in, I'm more curious. 
would would that be different for you and your writers than the other shows just i mean or does it does the fact that they're animated just not matter I'm hands off on this one. I don't want to. Cry. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm, I, I don't. It's know. Jason's don't... fault if he crosses the line. This no, is no, all Jason. No, no, Jim, Jim, I think Jim gets me. I don't. I don't care about the answer to. Yeah, we're working on those. I'm curious to take something like Lower Decks and Prodigy as a viewer. It's Trek, but obviously it's qualitatively different. And yeah. I'm curious from the writing and editing standpoint, would would you write for those? In, in Star Trek Adventures differently, or I, I mean, I mean, how, or does that not even matter converting something like that over? I mean, it's still Trek. Yeah, we've been thinking about this a lot because obviously we, we would love to add everything to our license. We would love to have Strange New Worlds. We would love to have Prodigy. We would love to have Lower Decks because they're the shows that are out there on, on air right now. Yeah. They're out there gaining new fans. And that's a, that's, I mean, that's just from practical standpoint, that's a fan base that we would love to tap into. Right. And, and introduce the game to and get even more people playing the game and enjoying it. Um, I think just the very nature of Star Trek Prodigy and, and Lower Decks, I think just the nature of those shows would require us to change our, or not necessarily change our approach, but would require us to rethink how we present the content, right? Yeah, okay. I think uh, Prodigy very clearly aimed at a different demographic than right. what traditionally aimed at. You're Instead of the 18 to you know, 50, 18 to 60 demographic, that most RPGs are aimed at because that's, that's mm -hmm, I mean, especially, mm -hmm. well, I mean, even 18 to 25 is D and D's kind of bread and butter, even though they've got long time grognards like us who still mm -hmm, play the game, mm -hmm. we get into the addition wars and, uh, and all that stuff. Right. But, um, but prodigy very, I mean, very clearly Paramount and Nickelodeon have been very clear from the very beginning that that is aimed squarely at the seven to 12 um, age range. Right. And I think if we were to do a prodigy game, we would have to do the same thing. We, we could not possibly write prodigy, aimed at the 18 plus demographic because we'd be missing the charm of the show, right? The whole, the whole right. point of the show is to introduce new fans to not just Star Trek, but also to, to STEM and STEAM um, technologies and education right. and right. learning and teamwork yeah. and, um, and, and self-reliance and all these, you know, great soft skills that you need to have to survive. Um, so I think, um, I mean, those 10 episodes of Prodigy are just amazing. And, and my kid's starting to watch him and he's like, Oh, you know, he's, he's getting into them, which is great. Yeah. Um, but like I know in the back of my head, like if we were to do a prodigy product, it would have to be written very differently and it would have to be presented very differently because you can't ask a six year old to read a 300 page core book because like most of them can't even read anyway. Right. <laughs> You'd have to change the presentation somehow so that they could actually get it and yeah. tap into their, their tap into their innate storytelling right. in the brain. Because like my son, like he's he's just starting to learn how to read. Oh, that's but cool. He is, he is an avid avid storyteller because we've been reading to him his entire life mm -hmm. he absorbs story he you know we watch tv sometimes he'll we read we read to him every night so like he's got story in his brain and like he'll he'll just and, and, we, and we play a lot right we play legos and all the other stuff and and he'll constantly be telling stories about things and like as a game master if i can tap into that creative storytelling thing that he's got going on it doesn't matter what the rules are we can just tell a great star trek story and he'll like he gets it right he gets the basics of it um, and that's what we, that's what I think we would need to do with Prodigy is figure out a way to simplify the rule set so that we yeah. can present it to a new audience. Yeah. Um, and then for Lower Decks, of yeah. course, it's Lower Decks is certainly Star Trek to its core. Yeah. And it's, it's such a huge, beautiful homage to Next Generation, especially. 
but they dropped so many Easter eggs to literally everything else, <laughs> like especially the, the animated series and the original series. Um, but I think I think Lower Decks more than anything else, what we what we would have to get right is the tone, right? Because it, it's it's yeah. that very specific yeah. humor that yeah. even took me a while to get used to. Like the first couple episodes of, of yep. Lower yep. Decks, I was like, "What the heck is this?" Yep. And part of it was like I, I had never watched Rick and Morty, so I didn't. Yeah, me either. I didn't know what level uh, Mike Mc, Mc, McMahon was on on yep. the development team. Like I didn't understand their level of humor, their their, their quality of humor. And mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. Lower Decks, like there was a lot of episodes in that first season that I was like, "What? What is this? This isn't Star Trek. What is this?" And it finally, by the end of the season, and then especially in the season two, I, I I really warmed up to it, and I and I and, and then I got it right. I understood yeah. what they were trying to do with it, and I, and I could see how much they loved Star Trek in every single episode. And I, I, there's so much detail in every, every scene. Uh, so if we were to you know, be fortunate enough to get the Lower Decks license and then to do a Lower Decks you know, string of products, we would have to make sure we got the tone right to get that, that specific level of humor and goofiness mm-hmm. that in Lower Decks that you don't see in Next Gen or you don't see in DS9 or whatever, because they're different. They're all different tonally. Um, so we would have to, we would have yeah. to rethink that a little bit. I think we would still make a Star Trek Adventures, right? It's still it's still the toolbox that we know and love. We, we'd have to figure out how to make that tone, you know, yeah. different. Yeah. No, thanks. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. bring up you brought up you know you were talking about STEM, right? Um, mm-hmm. Before, and I'm just curious, not necessarily in that context, but I was just thinking about the different ways we've talked about in the past with our guests and and ourselves, the different ways RPGs can be used even outside of just traditional us sitting down at a table yeah. and gaming. Have you ever heard from anyone or talked to other, you know, folks who GM or lead games or utilize the STA resources in, you know, academic therapeutic environments or anything like that? I can just, I could personally see Jason. I know you could see where that could be helpful because Star Trek itself could be that way. Yeah. Um, let alone the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've heard anecdotally uh, from a couple of people who reached out to me on Twitter or uh, or over email saying, "Hey, I'm doing this panel on um, uh, the benefits of D and D and RPGs during the pandemic and how how playing online is helping people so much, like just connect with people and get over the isolation, or not get over, but like deal with the isolation and and have some sort of outlet that's fun and, and not just you know being stuck at home alone, isolated and feeling the pressure of the world, you know, closing in on you. And, and they talked about, you know, using Star Trek Adventures to kind of, you know, support that when somebody needs a break from fantasy and, and from D&D, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I've had conversations with with educators and, and uh, education adjacent folks who are like, wouldn't it be cool if we could figure out some way to make uh, like Star Trek Adventures accessible to the classroom where we could develop like lesson plans and have teachers like use all the best elements of Star Trek in terms of like the STEM and the STEAM and the leadership building and the interpersonal relationships and the diversity and the inclusion and the equity, all those great yes. values that Star Trek, Star Trek teaches at its core. And how do we, how could we use the game as a vehicle to teach that to kids in the classroom, right? And I would love to do something like that. It's just a matter of finding the time and the right people to put onto that project and to make it happen. And then also to get the, 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 uh, the investment from um, you know Medifius, and then the, the and then the uh, the sign off from Paramount. I, I'm willing to bet that Paramount would be all over it. I'm willing to bet that Nickelodeon would be all over it if yep. we did it right. Yep. Uh, but in order to do it right, we'd have to have the right resources in hand. And uh, you know, 
I'm not confident we have that. Like, I know I don't. I have only got so much bandwidth. <laughs> and I'm pretty much maxed out as it is. Uh, I don't know that I could take on another uh, another big, you know, pursuit. Uh, but it's been on my mind for a while. And I would love to figure out how to make it happen because I think there's just so much upside to doing something like that. And you know, I don't even, I'm not even talking about, you know, making money for the game or for the, for the company. It's just like taking all the great content and like yeah. shipping it so that we could aim it at kids and like help teach kids all these great life skills that they, that they need, especially in this new world that, that as we we're only going to get more diverse, um, yep. Yep. you know, and uh, if that's not going to change and um, um, these are skills that you need to live and survive and thrive in this, in this world mm-hmm. heading into the, you know, well deeper into the 21st century here. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it's, it's certainly been on my mind and, and that would require some, some shifts in, uh, in writing and stuff to, to really focus it on, on that kind of experience as opposed to like a, yeah. a convention adventure or a standalone adventure that you'd play with your friends at a, at a game table. Like there's a different yeah. approach that you would take to a classroom environment. Um, so I mean, it's certainly a possibility. I'd love to see it happen, but I, I think just time will tell what, what we can do with it. Yeah. Well, like you cool said, you're, you're, you have, you can't put 10 gallons in a five gallon jump, right? Um, <laughs> no, no. So, but the fact that you, that, that obviously you've put some time and effort into thinking about it yeah. um, to me is awesome. And even for me, I mean, I have a teenage daughter. We were talking about this when we had some other, um, guests on recently mm. the idea of even introducing my daughter and all at the star trek and even gaming and all that um you know can only can only benefit because that's an area of need you know i think about my kids my daughter especially going mm. off into college and looking at the study side jason you have two mm. um you know i have a boy mm. i can tell that there's a difference between you know what my son's going to be offered and hit the comfort right. level with it versus my daughter yeah so yeah. Yeah. Hey, just one more quick question, and then I'm then I'm done. Um, and this is another one because you were talking about the digital Thank products, you. and you were talking about how you can use it as a proving ground. Um, yeah. Do you have Do you have some ideas? Um, do you kind of keep a theme going, um, oh, or is yeah. it just more? This is good content. Um, I could foresee this as a a mission brief or a mission um, PDF. Um, do you have any? You know methodology beyond just looking for really good content for us as gamers to play do you have themes do you even provide ideas out to and maybe we covered a little bit in the past but if bit. we have yeah. if we have this is an opportunity for folks to go back and listen to the prior episode when we the prior episodes we talked about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um uh, sometimes i do have themes sometimes i'll reach out to a writer i mean and uh, and say hey i got this idea for a mission brief is this something that would interest you to write and you know nine times out of ten they'll say sure and they'll go up and write it um, but most of the time, the standalone adventures and the mission briefs, it's just me saying, look, pitch me something. And if, if it sparks my interest, um, I'll do it. Um, I think that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years now. Just within the last, I don't know, maybe three to six months, um, as we've gotten more strategic across the company about planning things out and planning further ahead. Like I, I said earlier, I actually, like I said last episode, I'm, uh, I'm further ahead of the development curve now. So that I'm actually able to look further ahead into the releases that we're doing next year and then into 2024. And, and now I can start plotting. And now that we've got it established that we're doing a release schedule every month, we're doing a standalone adventure or a mission pack in addition to the big uh, the big print products. Now I'm starting to get a little bit more strategic about, oh, you know what? We're going to release the Starships book. I should release a mission briefs pack about the same time related to Starships or space stations or yeah. something. So that it kind of makes fit it kind of fits and kind of makes sense it's not going to be perfect but that's kind of like my thought process of, of like oh we're going to do x book wouldn't it be cool if there was a standalone adventure that came out about the same time 
that was relevant to that topic uh, or the or a mission brief pack or something. So I'm starting to get a little bit more strategic about that. Um, and then also Modifius, we're getting more mature in terms of like how we approach conventions and we're, we're building up the infrastructure now to where we can start doing more conventions, especially in the United States, more consistently. And we have thoughts about um, doing more convention support in terms of like dedicated stuff for conventions. And so I'm starting to think more strategically further ahead than what we have done in the past. So there is a certain amount of strategy in it. Uh, but like I currently still, for the most part, I'm, I'm taking pitches from people and saying, because well, partly I want to see what they're passionate about, right? Like it, it's one yeah. thing to say, hey, I've got this project. You want to do it? I mean, that's kind of like uh, that's kind of like me handing them an assignment and then going them going off and doing the job and then being done. It's a little different when they say, hey, I'm really passionate about this uh, about this adventure on a space station that gets caught up in a wormhole and blah blah blah. All those things happen. It's like, okay, well, you're, you're fairly passionate because you're coming to me with this idea. And if we tweak it, and then you can go off and running. So I, I like to see what the writers are passionate about and, and come up with the stories because it, it's always a better product, um, I think, than if I say, hey, Brad, I want you to go write me a mission brief pack on um, Ferengi love songs. And then you dutifully do your research. I would like to read that. Done, done. I got the. Brad is, I know they don't. They don't have guitars. Brad is, I, but look, I said you were going to sing. Yeah. I mean, here we are. Yeah. I, Brad is uh, getting his gold press latinum right now. Nice. Like nothing, oh, yeah. nothing says love like a Ferengi ballad. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I have one more question when you're done, Jason. It's an easy one and it's a quick one because I know we're going to start running up against time and Jim actually has to do some work tonight and sleep. Oh, no, I'm, I, so, I, I, I blocked off tonight for you guys. So I'm we, we blocked it off for you. We figured we would yeah, be here a while. That's wonderful. <laughs> actually, I, I'm a little leery to ask you this question because I think the answer might be no, and that would be slightly soul crushing for me. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, crush I, I, the soul, crush the soul. <laughs> yeah, back, back to your ballads. Right? <laughs> um, um, no, um, seriously, uh, to me, just now that the Starships book is out, I mm -hmm. mean, now that now that the third technical manual is out there, my life is a little more complete. And the next step for me would be, and I, I. I can tell you in my in my twenties, even my thirties, I wouldn't have been interested in this. But but now, as you said, of a certain age, um, uh, I find this idea so compelling. In fact, it's one of the reasons that uh, I really was intrigued by Picard season one. Um, I would love to see something like a source book on just Federation citizens. Like, and I, let me rephrase that, not the species, right? Not like the worlds of the Federation. Is is anyone in the world other than me, I mean this, interested in something like a source book on what's the daily life in the Federation, like not Starfleet? I realize that's probably too far afield for STA, but I, I would find that absolutely fascinating because that's the part that the franchise has historically been terrible at showing us other than like the drive-bys or hover-bys of Cisco's, you know, a uh, restaurant and stuff like that is, do you think there's any interest in that? There's, there's certainly interest in it. I, I know that something like that's been on my wish list for a while and I've Funny. heard it, I've heard it discussed a little bit on social media and on the forums, oh. discord and all that stuff that people, yeah. people uh, are interested in like, Oh gosh, I wish we could learn more about the daily life of, of your average citizen. Like the, uh, yeah. Like yeah. Cassidy, like Cassidy Yates, how does she get to be a merchant in the in the Star Trek universe franchise? You know, with the Starfleet around and 
How do you right. make, I mean, like, does she, does she earn money? She has to, right? She's got to maintain her ship. So like, how does that whole thing work? And I know they've kind of always kind of hand waved the whole money thing and they haven't really focused on any civilians long enough to really explain it, which I think is a good dodge by the writers to, to not really focus on it. <laughs> yes. uh, I think so there's, there's certainly, um, there's certainly, I mean, there's certainly a gap there, right? Cause I don't think like looking at my shelf, I'm not confident well, maybe less uniform games did with their Raider, Raiders, Renegades, and Rogues source book for the for the DS9 uh, subline. Um, I'm not sure that there's been too many products that really focus on um, non Starfleet, non Klingons, rank and right. file, your average Federation citizen, and merchants and uh, and mercenaries mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I mean, lug. I think less uniform games probably if they did it, they did it better than anybody. Um, but uh, the the challenge there. Is like how do we make it work, yeah, right? And that goes right. back to the feasibility conversation we had. Is that if you look at all the Star Trek series and all the Star Trek movies, with the exception of Prodigy, all of them are yep. focused on Starfleet yep. or Starfleet adjacent organizations. Now, I think DS9 is probably the one exception where you've got, um, you know, you got Odo, Quark, Kira, mm-hmm. um, you know, very clearly not Starfleet people, civilians. Or, or military, you know, non-Starfleet military mm-hmm. um, involved and, and they're doing their own thing. And I think that's why we really tried to add a lot of content to the player's guide and to the game master's guide to give players yeah, you do. options to play non-Starfleet, mm-hmm. non-Federation characters mm-hmm. and, and build robust games around them. And we even touched on that a little bit in, in the uh, in the Discovery book too, right? We, we provided some content in the Discovery book about how to run independent campaigns, um, you know, within that setting, within that time period. Because you got hardcore Fenton Mud, you've got uh, independent traders like Cyrano Jones, you've got you got that kind of wiggle room of like mm-hmm. how did you mm-hmm. how did how did an independent spacer survive when the Klingon Federation war is going on, right? Like how, right. how did you make it work? How could you possibly survive when the Federation and the Klingons are you're blowing each other to smithereens and destroying colonies left and right? Like how how did the average people get by? And uh, I think that's probably honestly, I think that's a gap that the franchise has in terms right. of the TV show. There's never really been a TV show focused on your average civilians or your average political situation. I think there's an opportunity for that, but but then you're getting away from like, what is Star Trek, right? Yeah. And it, Star Trek's really always been about being on the ship and, and exploring strange new worlds. And it's a very different feel to do that kind of like day in the life of, you know, your average uh, Starfleet personnel. So I, I think, you know, realistically, a source book doesn't, like especially in print probably just financially doesn't make sense yeah i wouldn't think so ability wise i think there's certainly like i could easily see that being like a pd like a digital product like like a nice meaty you know 30 Mm. to 50 page pdf product that makes sense then release something like that and just see Mm. see what it does Mm -hmm. like test the waters kind of right and say right Hey, you know, we're going to throw this thing out and not throw it out there because we'll put, you know, passion into it. But mm-hmm. like we provide it that way because it's low risk, low right. cost. Again, going back to low risk, low cost. And then just seeing what it does. I think um, the, the reality of the industry right now is that print prices and production prices are yeah. not ever going to go down. Yeah. And, and the distribution times are only going to get worse because there's just so much in the world that's getting in our way. I think um, I would I would be surprised if more game companies didn't start shifting to a digital focus uh, on on a lot of their products 
And um, I know a lot of uh, a lot of RPG fans are going to resist that because we love our hardcovers. Right? We love our hardcover. No, don't get rid of print. Yeah, yeah, it's it's (laughs) hard to let it go because you you need it. And uh, even though uh, PDF readers and digital readers and stuff are so good now, it's still a different feel than having a Mm -hmm. a book in hand to flip through and look at those pages and all the beautiful artwork and stuff. So it's a really it's really tough uh, balancing Mm -hmm. act, but. Anyway, so Jason and long-winded as, as always. That's no, great. Um, I would just do, I would love to do some sort of product like that. Mm-hmm. I, it's just a matter of figuring out like what does it look like. What's right that makes the makes the most amount of sense. Right. Uh, because I mean, there's certainly there's certainly no shortage of canon right that we could pull from. Exactly. Like, like you know, Jake Fisto yeah. and Cassidy and Odo mm-hmm. and Porter. like there's so many characters that we could drop into it. Like even Kess and um, Kess and uh, um, Neelix. Oh yeah, yeah. But before, before, sorry, before we kick it back over to Brad to start to close us out, I just need to point out for our listeners that Jim, while you were starting to talk about the typical citizenry of the Federation, you included mercenaries. Mm -hmm. Just want to put that out there that uh, on the the Star Wars side, Jason Jason loves Edge of the Empire. I wasn't even going in that direction. I I just think it's funny that like you know in this in the Federation where you know it's a post scarcity society, Mm -hmm. right? That would be like a three hundred page source book of an introduction and two hundred and eighty five pages that were blank because no one's ever figured that out. (laughs) I mean, who knows? But I like that you're like you know citizens, pilots, writers mercenaries i your perception of the federation must be a little different than mine but i think that's awesome <laughs> well i think I mean, if you if you watch like especially the later seasons of next generation and the later seasons of ds9 yeah, yeah. Like, i mean o'brien got got caught up in the orion right. a little bit there near, near the end and you've always got your nausicans and your pack leads and your yes. your uh, your sinister batch of you know shady characters roaming the promenade or that the that the uh, uh enterprise crew got caught up in in the in the later seasons in the next gen it's true it's like i mean clearly there are mercenaries in this organization or in the franchise mm-hmm. and then even further out you've got the fenris rangers who are trying to keep things together on the edges and uh, there's a uh this is probably a conversation for a later episode but like there's there's <laughs> some there's some blurring there especially with picard i thought yeah. where they were kind of like blurring the line a little bit between between Star Trek and Star Wars, where like uh, Free Cloud and the mercenaries and those those shady characters they were getting involved with. I was like, okay, this is starting to feel like the prequels oh. of Star Trek, where they're getting into like, Coruscant and the under the under underground of Coruscant here, like a little Mos Eisley going on. Yeah, a little bit of Mos Eisley, and and I think one of the things about me being a diehard Trek fan mm-hmm. and, and really believing in the in the ethos that star trek presents mm-hmm. is like when you start getting into the edge of the empire type of approach to mm-hmm. star trek mm-hmm. like i know that there's a a set of the fan base that wants to do that kind of thing like oh i'm going to be an independent trader mm-hmm. in the star trek setting it's like well you know if you blur just a little bit you're you're playing a smuggler on on the falcon that, in, in that's exactly and, right you're han and chewy you're han and chewy pulling up to ds9 getting into shenanigans and then the empire shows up and all this stuff. So, like, there's there's a blur there that we have to be really careful about. If we go too far down the independent route, then is that is that really Star Trek? Is anymore? it really? Yeah. I mean, La Serena looks like first episode. I saw La Serena, and my immediate thought was, it looks like it was pulled straight from Star Wars. I mean, I think it's a beautiful ship, but it looks like it's pulled straight. Enio Rios. I mean, he's got West End Games brash pilot. 
all over him. So oh, no, I'm yeah. absolutely with you. That's a yeah. very difficult line for them to dance. Yeah, I was. I remember seeing the uh, uh, the production pictures, like like the promotional pictures of all the different characters, and like whatever reason, the the one of Rios I saw, he had like the he had like the leather jacket and the shirt and the pants, and he had the holster strapped down on his thigh. <laughs> I'm like, geez, this is like this is like Han, I mean, this is literally Han Solo or or a smuggler, right? And you were right, like literally right out of West End Games. This is yes. the this is the brash pilot, the the smuggler, the um, even yep. after the Empire, like I, I've seen yep. this character a million times in Star Wars. What is he doing in Star Trek? Like, well, why is he mm-hmm. here? I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's that it's that little bit of dissonance because I think in certain cases those two franchises have blurred a little bit. And uh, if you if you don't really stay on top of the ethos for each one, then you get yeah. kind of into this weird gray middle ground. Uh, so Brad, I apologize. I think I cut you. No, off. no, I cut you off. I was just going to say okay. when you were talking about the citizenry thing, I think it reminds me a little bit. Maybe different audiences, maybe similar when BSG tried to do Caprica. And oh it, yes, it just didn't fly. Um, I know there was a theme behind it with the silence and everything like that, but no one wanted mm-hmm. to see average day, you know, down on um, one of the twelve mm-hmm. colonies. And so I don't know if that would be yeah, the case with yeah. Star Trek. But okay, point. so to wrap it up, we have never done this. I'm putting Jim on the spot. We've never done this before. Jason's <laughs> worried. Um, but last time we talked, I think mostly offline, um, about some books that you've used in, in relation to technical manuals and all that. So, uh-huh. um, we're gonna do uh, just a one man GM corner this week. Uh, oh. Obviously, you talked about oh, the seven, changed. the seven. Uh, obviously the stuff you're working on from Nadifius. Yeah. You have a day job, you have a family, you have everything like that and else going on. Um, but in your free there, time. But in your free time, <laughs> right. is there any, what do you have on your desk that may not be STA related that oh. you could talk about that you're reading or, or you know, I we've been talking about RPGs literature. I'll, I'll have an RPG book on my desk just reading it. Like I have mm. Dune, you know, mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. a Dune from and Gorgeous. i've talked about it in the past yeah. so anything on your desk as part of the gm corner that you would say that you're kind of working through whether it's a novel or other rpg or anything like that so um i put them on the spot sorry i shouldn't have done that but. yeah you know I, I feel i feel bad about about talking about it because it, it like from a certain point of view it is kind of star trek adjacent ish um, I think um, over the last few months, I think I talked earlier in this episode or maybe the previous episode, how I've kind of gotten ahead of the curve finally in my development yeah. process and that I've able, been able to kind of like open up my schedule a little bit so that I'm not just constantly grinding on Star Trek Adventures. I'm actually giving myself a little bit of breathing room so that I'm not constantly churning onto the next thing. And I've actually gotten myself some time where I'm actually able to watch a little TV or I'm able to read a book or whatever. And so really over the last two, two to three months, I've, I've really gone back to my um, nautical fiction age of sail um, uh, passion. And I've been uh, rewatching the Horatio Hornblower uh, series uh, from A&E, the ones with Yoan uh, uh, Griffith cool. and uh, um, Robert Livingston, uh, which is just, it, it's a great uh, series if you're into nautical fiction and nautical history. And the Hornblower series, of course, the, the Forrester novels. Uh, so I've been, I've been watching those. I've been reading uh, some Alexander Kent. And some uh, Patrick O'Brien, the the Aubrey Maturin novels, uh, just kind of refreshing my memory about all that great nautical, um, you know, Navy oh. war from the British uh, point of view. But I'm also um, really passionate about the uh, the American Revolution, the colonial era, and uh, I just recently uh, reread uh, a fantastic book 
um, by Ian Toll called Six Frigates. It's all about the founding of the American Navy and the first six uh, wooden warships that the Navy built uh, you know, prior to the uh, War of 1812. And wow. it's just, it's fascinating, fascinating reading. And I love it so much because it, it kind of made me think about what the, the, um, what the people, what the engineers that you, you, the, the precursor to Utopia Planitia um, must have been thinking like when they were developing those 12 constitution ships for the first time, you know, developing those ships. And it, it goes into a lot of detail about how the frigates were all built on the same basic idea, but each one evolved while it was in the dry dock, right? And as they were building them, they, they found ways to refine them individually so that by the time they all launched, they were all six very different ships, even they were all, you know, they were all the same kind of class. And, and that just made me think about Star Trek, of course, because everything goes back to Star Trek. Uh, of, like, of course, you've got these 12 constitution classes. They're all built on the same, you know, principles, the same plans and whatever. But I'm willing to bet that every one of those 12 ships are different in certain perspectives. And of course, that gets into the talents and the, and the traits that you can add to ships within the game context. But so anyway, yeah, I've been really, um, you know, digging into my history passion and getting into uh, the lower stuff, nautical fiction, and uh, especially that the Six Frigates book, the Ian Toll book. And I, I've got more uh, historical fiction and historical uh, books that I want to get into, especially about the, the American Navy and the British Navy, because uh, those have really been focuses of mine lately. And, you know, fortunately, that, that all informs Star Trek to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. uh, but also for the first time in six years, I'm, uh, I'm starting to get back into thinking about uh, fiction because I, you know, I, I wrote a lot of fiction before getting into Medivh. Right. And then once I started working with Medifius, that's, that's really been my sole focus for uh, my writing pursuits. And uh, now that I got a little bit of breathing room, I'm actually starting to think about, oh, what, what's my next book going to be that I write? That's, or what's my next series? That's, that's cool. not Star Trek, right? That's something yeah. else. And so thinking about it, it's, it's just very super early right now. Like I've still got a long, a long um, runway of Star Trek stuff to work on that, mm -hmm. that uh, I'm not ready to let go of yet. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't burned out yet. Like I got, I got close a couple of times during COVID, but uh I'm, I'm in a good place right now. So uh, um, thanks for asking, though. I appreciate it. I, I have to ask, so I, know, I know we're almost out of time, but I don't want to feel like I'm monopolizing this uh, this whole thing. What, what are you guys working on? Just uh, anything passionate that you got on your plate right now? I know at one point you were talking about doing a, um, an RPG for Star Trek, and then you kind of... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's never. We're never going to live that down. I accidentally, I accidentally derailed that's, you, and I feel that's Jason's really fault. Did, Jason made really, me do it. Jason no, made sweet. me do it. It's it's yeah. That's yeah. We yeah. That was that's long gone. Yeah, yeah. We've 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 we're we're not. That's not even on the radar. Um, oh, wow. I think Sorry. for I we have. Well, I think we have. You know, I've heard there's some material out there that kind of took care of it for us. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you I'm probably haven't up, heard, but Modifius the... has been putting out a lot of Star Trek adventures lately. Yeah, well, um, I considering I have a shelf full, I'm I'm pretty aware of it, and I actually had to well, reorganize. No, them. but in in all seriousness, yeah. you know, Brad and I, we do still keep playing around long, long term with the notion of pitching you another idea for mission briefs sometime in the future. And and we're just biding our time until Modifius releases a Star Trek Adventures OGL. So that we can just go nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, well, uh, you know, again, you know, I, I don't want to burst your bubble again. Yeah. I, you know, I did it before, but uh, there's no crush his I, soul. I, I, crush his soul. I'm, I'm I'm confident that we could never get that past Paramount. Oh uh, God, no! Just because of the uh, the the legal issues and the and oh no control of the, no. of the property and stuff. 
but uh, you you two are welcome to pitch to me literally anytime. So don't appreciate it. The doors are no, that's it. So, uh, but but um, but seriously, I mean, what's on my desk is your source book. I mean, is oh, is okay. Utopia Planitia. I mean, okay. that's not a quick read. There's so much to explore yeah. with that. That's a long term one on my jam desk. Yeah. I've had I've had Dune. I've had I picked up. Dune, I think I texted. Yeah. I've I picked it up. I I rewatched the '84 edition, which you know, there's a lot of contra. You know, there's a, it's a divert. There's a real, you know, it's a good movie. Yay or nay? I still like it. Yeah. Um, between that and then, um, and I say this not because you're here, but um, I dug. I've dug in and I'm digging in deeper into the Klingon Core rulebook. Oh wow! Um, because I haven't done that as much as I've done. Um, you know the operations manuals and the and the quadrant mm-hmm. the quadrant mm-hmm. guides and so mm-hmm. i really wanted to we talked about this last time that really you've got to, two core rule books now that really kind of in many ways cover so much okay. i've focused so much on the original one and then reading the other books i wanted to do that and mm-hmm. i've been trying to get away from technology lately just at night turning off the tv putting a book rest. down mm-hmm. that um I have found RPG material as literature, very, very therapeutic and um, having those up when I've been, and I've been kind of watching DS9 again, that's kind of my, that's also a therapeutic thing for me. Um, Having that material out there and being able to kind of gross myself in it is, um, it's helpful. So, and again, I say that not because you're on here. I say, Jason knows this. Oh yeah. I've talked to him about it before, you know, um, just because we still don't have time to game yet. Yeah. Um, and we, we so want to do that. And I think it's important, you know, just with us talking about writing and all that. 2024. Um, yeah. I want to write, I want to, I want to play some as well. Cause that's the only way I can really envelop myself into, yeah, right. into the ecosystem. I use yeah. technical terms. Yeah, so, sure. well, you know, thank you for asking. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and I will. Uh, I will tell you. Like, I don't know how this will make you feel, but I'm actually, I'm actually a little bit jealous of you uh, that you have the opportunity to to get that therapeutic fix by reading the books and uh, and and just absorbing all the content that we've worked on. Um, I will. I will admit because I do have a short memory because I have to you know purge my brain and go to project to project. That um, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't think it was intentional. It's just the way it worked out. But like. The Klingon book was the first book that I really worked on as, as full-blown project manager and put a lot of passion into it. That thing was 400 pages. And then we followed that up immediately with the Shackleton book. That was another 320 pages. And then the uh, Player's Guide, the Game Master Guide, each of those is 270 pages. <laughs> like there is so much content that, that I've developed over the last two years that I have not had really, honestly, hardly any time to go back and just look at them. And just yeah. appreciate them for what they are and just like flip through the pages like they're on my shelves and i reference them once in a while but like i wish i had the time to just kind of like sit back and just kind of crack one open and just feel the the faux leather of the player guide and the game master guide and just appreciate a good book right yeah. um like yeah. at some point i'm going to do it but i just haven't found the time to do it so i'm i'm a little envious that you have the ability to kind of like kick back and just uh be intentional like it's all it's all intentional intentionality right like mm-hmm. turning off the screens i really i really admire you for being able to do that mm-hmm. i really struggle with that like i'm on my phone all the time yeah because not, not just to keep you know an eye on uh on my son if, if something goes crazy at school but uh mm-hmm. just you know working out schedules with my partner and then you know work schedules and all that all that stuff that we get to do as, as grown-ups <laughs> but uh like the more books we come out with it's like oh yeah that this even the discovery book was 200 and something pages 
So like, you know, over the last two years, we've, we've generated thousands of pages of content that I just haven't had a chance to go back and look at and enjoy. Like I flipped through the PDFs, of course, but PDFs are a very different experience from, yep. Yep. Uh, from a print book. And uh, I was so excited. Um, this is a, a non sequitur, of course. <laughs> and I know we're trying to wrap it up here. No, 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 no. We're, the, we're uh, more cognizant of your time because yeah. uh, you, have, you have six uh, different um, jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But when the uh, when the when the in fact I know the I know your audience isn't on uh, your audience isn't on camera. But like when I when I finally got my uh, my copy of the Discovery, um, yeah, that is beautiful. The, uh, the collector's edition of the Discovery book. Yeah. I was like, I I actually spent my I, I I changed my calendar around and I, and I gave myself an hour just to kind of flip through it and appreciate nice. how much work went into this. Like the cover artist Stephanie, the cover artist did such an amazing job. On this uh, on this faux leather uh, embossed yeah. with the gold and the silver trim, and I was like, I, and I was just sitting there looking at this, and I was like, holy cow, this is a really cool looking book, and uh, and I you know I was flipping through it, and, you know I, I'll, I'll be uh, you know egotistical and say, wow, this came out really nice. It did. <laughs> Even I, you know, it I didn't did. have a lot to do with the with the layout other than you know pick at it, but uh, um, just yeah. just to be able to just sit down for a while and just flip through these books and just appreciate the work that's gone into it. Um, I haven't gotten there yet, and I, I got to give myself. I got to be. I have to be intentional about giving myself the time to do that. And I just haven't had the bandwidth to do it yet. So I, I may have to use you, Brad, yeah. as inspiration to to like unplug <laughs> at some point and just grab a book, whether it's Star Trek or, yeah. or other RPG books that I've got just sitting around. I think we, just uh, just give me a sec. I want to soak in the irony of what just happened here. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm good now. <laughs> oh, I got an itch here. Sorry, I got an itch. Yeah, I got good an itch. Thing audio only. <laughs> <laughs> Jason just Jason just got the number one symbol for me with oh, my yeah, name. Yeah, right. But oh, number one. Um, no, no, no. I, you know, it, it, that is something that you know I couldn't imagine your schedule, even with my schedule the way it is. Um, yeah. Having to do that, it's at late at night. I'm I'm up much later than I should be, mm. um, just because that's the time that I get to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I put some music on in my headphones, and or I have it silent. Um, you know, so, but yeah, I, I appreciate the material. And again, it, oh. I don't want it to be a fanboy discussion, but I appreciate the material as reading literature alone. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, being able to page through it and just read the content and having talked to you and, and all that, know the work that goes behind it, you know, right. the research and right. the work and the, and the, the collaboration with folks. And I'm very anxious to see, um, and enjoy the same thing when uh, Utopia Planitia comes out, and when we get and it. Print, and we're yeah. lucky, and we're lucky now that for those of us that pre-order, and if you pre-order, you get the PDF. Right. So mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. don't even have to wait you, if you're if you're able and willing to 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 take a look at it in PDF form. Yeah. Um, you have all the content there. Yeah. Like I said before, yeah. I think I said it in the previous episode. You can you can use the mm -hmm. content now, even while you yeah, wait right. for right. the book to come. Right. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's the cool thing about uh, digital uh, digital books, right? Is like the tools are there. The, the tools aren't going to change if they're in digital format or print format. I mean, it's certainly a different way of accessing them, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the the tools are are done, ready, and available. So don't hesitate. I mean, I know it's tricky right now because the PDF by itself isn't available yet until we start uh, releasing the the print editions. But uh, you know. Um, mm. Anyway, just yeah, yeah, go check it out if you, if you feel like it. Go check it out. Because it's it's just a wealth of new materials. Oh Gosh, my god! It was what? Oh yeah. Two hundred fifty. Another two hundred fifty-six page book. Another big monster book. I got to figure out how to make the book shorter. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, but, no, no, no. Uh, we're we're good with the one. Yeah. We're, we're okay with it. if it's you're okay. okay with it, or yeah. we're okay with it too. I'm totally. okay with it, yeah, because we're the only ones that matter, right? In this conversation, we if we're we okay knew. No, we we knew this was going to be special when when you messaged us before the release, and you're like, "I hope your laudanum is ready." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and just for for record, it's we like, don't oh, get, we don't oh, have, we purposely yeah. don't talk about. There are no spoilers for us. We don't know things ahead of time other than, you know, did you check your email? You'll say, did you check your email when the announcement comes out? And then this was the first book that I can remember that Jason and I were both going to get that Jason beat me to pre-order. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I was in a meeting at I was in a meeting early in the morning. And I think, Jason, you emailed me at or texted me at nine o'clock saying I've got it ordered. Oh, Um, I was I was I had planned. This is this is where I had planned, like okay, I'm checking just in case something comes early, and then like I got up in the morning and I was checking every hour, uh, you knowing I'm not gonna get the hard copy for a while. I no, I oh my god, as soon as that was available, it was just take my money, um, platinum and yeah, lad, and totally worth it. I mean everything with Star Trek Adventures has been like that, but I seriously think you and your team are. Up it, no pun intended. Upping the game of what you're producing, as as these books come out. I mean, they've all been obviously good, but it just seems that with every iteration, the, the there are just differences that to me are palpable, both in layout, content, writing, organization. It's like every time it's just a little bit stronger, which is I to me really saying something. I mean, talk about quality improvement I mean, when you start that strong. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, th- I think uh, I think as as Modiphius has grown and matured as a company, and we've brought in you know um, brought in more resources and and good resources, um, yeah. it just it, it elevates everything, right? And right. like as a, as a Star Trek team, we're getting smarter about how we're doing things. Like I said, I'm getting smarter as a project manager. I'm getting ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. I'm getting things done more efficiently. Um, it's just it's just it, hopefully, and, and like it sounds like it is because I'm hearing it from you guys. It's not me just saying it. Um, it's hopefully showing in the product yeah. um oh, no like, like like the um the klingon book was really cool and then we tried to take it to the next step with shackleton and we tried to take it to the next step with the player guide and the game master guide and i'm just gratified every day when i read comments online from folks that are like oh you know, when um like new fans will come to uh to discord or to the subreddit or whatever and they'll say hey i'm new to star trek um i picked up the humble bundle like what should i be buying in print like what what books are necessary and you know, most of the time they'll say, "Grab a core book, either the Klingon book, the Starfleet book, or the New Rules Digest that came in the uh, you know the tricorder set, um, and then get the Game Master Guide, the, get the Red Book, the Game Master Book." And uh, I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> that's, that's suddenly become like one of the essential books." And I didn't really, I don't know that I expected oh. that to happen, but that, that's just the fan reaction is saying you need to go get the Game Master book if you're going to be a Game Master, or go get the Gray um, you know player book if you're going to be a player because those are so relevant to the to the experience that that the the fan base is saying those are among the essentials now which is kind of exciting because you know uh, again that wasn't on my list of things to do with that book yeah we just wanted to provide more great content um so uh so yeah it's just uh, we're trying to constantly challenge ourselves to make each product better and i think i think the i don't know if the fans expect that but they certainly deserve it right because if, if we just kind of like sat back on our butts and said oh we'll just throw out another book and uh, like you'd tell, you'd be able to tell that the passion wasn't there anymore. Sure. And I think as long as we continue to be passionate about it, you're going to see it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're inspired too, because we're inspired by the fans 
and were inspired by the production teams, right? Because they keep knocking out awesome television shows. Like the, that, mm. that season of Strange New Worlds was just amazing from beginning to end. Uh, and, okay. Uh, the first so, episode of uh, Lower Decks was pretty awesome too. <laughs> so like we're just inspired oh. by all this new content and just, you know. I, I, a total transparency here. So another friend and I, a, 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 another friend and I, so we've got, hopefully next year, right? We've got a book on leadership coming out and yeah. it's right. It's, it's Star Trek. When Strange New Worlds episode 10, when, when that was over, we'd already been playing with the second eventual follow-up book for more advanced leadership. When that episode dropped and we could see, I could see that first season as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is what we're doing, right? This, this series, this season is our, our widget, if you will to really take the next step, right? Because that's the quality of what they're putting out now, right? Like you were talking about using Prodigy to teach kids. I mean, Star Trek is even more Star Trek today than it was when it came out, you know, in the 60s. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Mm-hmm. Jim, yeah. as always, we, yeah. yeah, you know, go ahead, Brad. No, no, I was just going to say thank you. You go right ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say thank Jim you. Knows, Jim knows uh, I'll say thank you to him. So he knows, he knows that I'm thankful. Yeah. So. Jason, you can. Yeah, Brad. Can, Jim, Brad yeah, but, for but, for interview number five, Brad's going to show up in his full Klingon cosplay. Um, <laughs> it's the least. It's the least. Better than Jason's Uhura outfit. So. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, legs are legs. Um, <laughs> on on that bone chilling note, um, we really, we always really appreciate the time you spend with us. It's it's yeah. always so interesting because I think it helps us to appreciate what you are putting out there with SGA even more to, 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 to know a little bit of the mind behind this stuff. Um, it's just so cool. We, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your interest in your friendship. We wish you more free time to, to, to dabble in the nautical and, and, and fictional world so that you can remain sane as your, you know, 15 books ahead. Um, <laughs> it's just, yeah. Thank you so much once again. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, thanks you as always, Brad and Jason. Thank you for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough for everything that you do for uh, for the industry and just for for fans in general. Like I, I listen to your podcast every week, uh, every time it's on. One of the five listeners. Yes. No, we, we really appreciate it. <laughs> no, no jokes aside. Yeah, thank you. So um, I just I love uh, you guys. Such a great diverse group of uh, of, of guests, right? We've been really amazing. lucky. It's amazing how you pull these people because it's like I'm. I, I'm a little envious of your of your Rolodex of people because it's like, oh, you know, Aaron McDonald. Damn, I want to I want to talk to her. I want to talk to her. <laughs> uh, but no, it just uh, it, I love your stuff. I love your show, and uh, I'm just grateful that you've uh, invited me again. Oh. And uh, uh, hopefully, we'll do it again sometime. Oh, you we'll, count we'll, on it. You no. count on it. We'll, you count you're going to come back. Yeah, oh, we got to okay. get you. We got to get you up there to Steve Martin level SNL. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't even know how many times he was on. I think he was in the double digits. So we'll oh my God. see how that works. <laughs> we're, we're, well, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time. Yeah. You haven't gotten sick of us yet. No, 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 it's coming. Thanks so much, Jim. All right, y'all take care. Be safe. Be well. Well, it, it goes without saying that um, I'm continuing to, to read through the STA stuff. Um, but that's, I'm, I'm, I should backtrack. We're going to GM corner because we've, we've gone, you know, this is a, a long episode. Mm-hmm. I will talk about, uh, the one ring and we'll talk about Dune ah. RPGs in the coming weeks. Okay. Um, I've been doing just based off of us talking about world building and RPG is lit. I've mentioned the fact that I've been doing some 
recreational, I don't want to say writing, but recreational world building. Let's just leave. Let's just say that you're There's, you're using it, but you're not inhaling it. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I did not. I never inhaled. You, you did not inhale. Um, okay. Good. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I've been reading a lot online more. Normally, I am more a paper. When I read something like mm-hmm, a novel mm-hmm. or something, paper. I need to have the book. Yep. You know that is you. Know, and in all honesty, and and I say this with 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 such respect, I really learned that from all of our time um, to really appreciate the printed word as much as the electronic word. You, um, they're both great ways. They're both you know, great you, ways. But you know what I think? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you've continually reinforced that with me. And, and I don't mean by, by preaching it. I just mean by your example. Um, but I have been reading a lot online and, uh, and I don't mean like how to's or, or that I just been mm-hmm. reading other people's work and... and other people's content. And there's nothing to it. It's just, that's what's it, it's, it's been on mm. my virtual desk. Got there's it. a lot of people that create like online um, comics, online yeah. visual novels and all that. And I will say there's, there's content related in that realm that is more, um, kind of like rated r oriented i don't that's not my <gasps> thing yeah shocker um that's I've never not my known thing. you i've never known you to be inappropriate or off color oh yeah okay yeah. how many yeah. e episodes have we had yet probably not as many as we probably both expected that's because um, we don't we don't record until it's out of our system <laughs> yeah or we hold it back until it records done and then yes. it pours out of the system yes but yeah i i stay away from that content because i'm more interested in the writing and the world yeah. building and the tension that that you get from good writing um, yes. in material that is novel type material, story type material. But you mm-hmm. could see, I don't know how to explain this. You could see how it could become really good role playing story. Yeah, absolutely. So I have found this stuff out online in um, legit places. We're not talking like some of the, the seedy underbelly where you can get stuff. And I don't begrudge anyone that it's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. So that's really what's been on my desk. And it is fueled. It has been fueling creativity on my part nice. to the point where um, I do some writing. You're you uh, something that you're really good at that. I've been always interested and fascinated by in it is how you write still on paper when you plan things do that even before you come to the computer and start i know that i know you're giving me a look but i you can't see it folks but you're giving me a look i well i'm giving you the look that I'm, a, I'm i'm a bit of a hypocrite because by necessity a lot of that has changed i still generally outline on paper that's because, my point oh okay i was gonna say because everything point. i'm doing is collaboratory collaborative right now collaboratory please because it's all collaborative um and i after the outline, I'm I'm probably in Google Docs. Well, that, and that's okay. But you still, you know, how many times have have you shown me when we've been offline, like um, your world building model, which we're going to come back to, you know? Yeah, always on paper. You know th- yeah. that type of thing. I've been doing that, but I've been Good. doing it using pen to tablet. Oh, interesting. Um, and I've been using our my rocket book, which we've talked about in the past where you can write and then in effect air quote digitize to use a nineties term. Right. So (laughs) that's really what's been, that's what has 
I've been doing a lot of reading of really good material out there from authors that we don't know about. And we may not ever know about in terms of in the grand scheme of things, but just it reminds me of how creative this culture and this 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 ecosystem. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Ecosystem is. I like that. Interesting. Well, I have something. Oh, I know one more thing before you go. I want to come back because I I told you before I I had two things I was going to mention. Oh, yeah. I wasn't going to tell you. I think in the we need to come back and talk about in the, one of the next episodes, Artemis. Um, we talked about it in the last episode mm-hmm. at the end. Um, you were talking about it. And if you all haven't listened to the last episode with Jim, please do. But at the end, we have a brief GM corner about <clears throat> going to space. And it yeah. just reminded me at the time of you and I were, I'll, I'll just date us. You and I were around seven years old when uh, Columbia launched for the first time. And I yeah. have very, cause I was ill on that day. Oh, very wow. ill. Yep. Um, Home I have very it. distinct memories of mm-hmm. that yeah. launch and we'll have to talk about, we just had Aaron McDonald on. We've talked about space. We have to come back and talk about that again. I, you so know, that, I, Brett, I think it's a great idea. And because the, because we are still as of this, as of this episode, we are still waiting for Artemis One to launch. Um, when it does, when she does, heads to the moon. Uh, I think it's fair, listeners, that uh, that we're going to take up Brad's idea, and whenever that is, the next episode is going to be not just on Artemis, but on yeah, on space, on on going to space, on the future. On, on on our future as a species there's there's a lot to be discussed there in and well beyond role playing well and, and not only that it just even as you said it just reminded me of we have such great role playing systems out there like i i'll go back to green running's modern age it would be very cool to build to do some world building and create a rpg universe of almost like you know being part of a team that is going into space yeah and on its uh, you know literally a modern age version of being part of an artemis type machine. well and okay so um instead of talking about what i was going to talk about for jam corner i'm going to flip it around so so i think sorry i, mean, I hijacked it it's no just you... i so and we're not we're not going to do this but it would be fun because sometimes i think through this lens still and we've talked about this over the past year plus but year and a half now wow but it'll be interesting to look at the Artemis One launches, including when she does launch. And then as we're following her mission out to around and past the moon and back, it'll be fun just academically to look at the mechanics and say, okay, let's take our, you know where I'm going with this. Let's take our narrative yep. dice. Let's take, uh, our, yeah. uh-huh. Let's take a, our D20 with mods. Let's take our our old school D6 and with our pips. And as events occur, let's figure out what kind of roles would these have necessitated, right? Like, like there's an issue with the phalange, 
don't it's a friends thing there's an issue with the phalange and they figure it out and they have to kludge it from space okay great so if we're in the old d6 system because sometimes i still think like that then what would have been the difficulty level on that what would we have had to roll would we have needed the wild die and on and on and on that to me would be fun, but I think we probably should wrap this episode because not only is it going long, really long, but you and I would be here all night trying yeah, to would. do this. Yeah. So, all right, everybody, you've heard enough from us. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed speaking with Jim Johnson these past two weeks. Uh, Jim, as always, we thank you immensely for being a friend of the podcast and more personally a growing friend of ours everyone be well stay well um we've got more coming your way one more week of trek uh we'll see you then <laughs>